When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Monday, November 1st, 2021. I'm Maggie Lake and with me today is Katie Stockton, founder of Fair Lead Strategies. A quick snapshot before we jump in. The market's relatively quiet on this first trading day of the new month ahead of what is potentially some market moving events this week, including central bank policy meetings and OPEC meeting and U.S. non-farm payrolls, to mention just a few. The big political headline coming out today, not from Scotland, where COP26 is taking place, but instead from D.C., where the Treasury Department, Fed, and other regulators urge lawmakers to let them regulate stablecoin issuers, and West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin rejecting calls for a speedy passage of the proposed infrastructure bill. So let's get into it. Hey, Katie, great to have you back with us. Hi, Maggie. Good to be back. So before we jump in and, and unpack some of these different issues uh, and talk across markets, why don't you uh, just remind some viewers who may be new to joining us a little bit on your background and, and what your strategy is when it comes to approaching these markets? You know, I'm a technician and really in the pure sense of the word, I, I look at charts alone, uh, but I really believe technical analysis is a perfect complementary discipline so we publish research um, on a subscription basis and our subscribers really are all over the map in terms of their composure. We have institutional subscribers, we have folks that are just day trading, uh, you name it, and uh, we can kind of service them by covering the markets from a technical perspective. Ideally, then they can take that information and cross-reference it with what they're doing on their end, whether it's fundamental, macro, political, our background at Fairlead Strategies, I started in early 2018 after spending over 20 years on Wall Street, primarily in a sell-side research capacity. I was the chief technical strategist at BTIG most recently, which means that I was covering equities, primarily U.S. equities, from a top-down perspective using technical analysis and then doing a lot of idea generation from a bottom-up technical perspective. Our methodology, as much as just about the charts, um, and we do use a lot of indicators. So indicators are a big part of our process. Uh, these are mathematically based gauges that help us understand not only what the prevailing trends are, but when they might be turning around. Yeah, I think it's it's so helpful to have that, especially now, because what we're seeing, not volatility in terms of the indicators or the VIX, but there are a lot of headlines coming out. And a lot of people are, are trying to really maintain some discipline when it comes to not getting married to their narrative or not not getting overwhelmed by the emotion, how they feel around any any trade. We've had a lot of questions about that. We've had a lot of questions coming in from the audience in terms of trading strategies and trying to get a little micro on that. So it's so helpful, I think to have these conversations. So, so let's start with U.S. equities and maybe broadly, just sort of tell me how you're feeling because you know we know that September is a tough month for stocks and then things tend to get a little more positive, a little better toward the end of the year. But I'm hearing a lot of people sound concerned and maybe like they're looking for a turn or they're, they're really worried about 
those nice gains that are showing on their books kind of eroding into year end. And we know no one likes that. So how are you feeling generally about the U.S. equity market? You know, I'm sensing the same thing from my conversations that folks have done pretty well this year, even last year, and they're feeling nervous, not just about a pullback or a correction, about the major turnaround. And and yeah. we just don't see that in our work yet. We can talk about the long-term setup, but more importantly for now into year end, we really only have bullish developments. And, and I'll show you here on a chart of the S&P 500 that's sort of near and dear to our, our hearts in terms of the indicators that are pictured we have a breakout to new highs, and that breakout yields a measured move projection of 47.68. So the breakout was just confirmed last week, and for confirmation, we require a couple of daily closes above a short-term level. So indeed, we got that. And assuming the trajectory, the trend that began off the May low, which wasn't a major low, um, you know, sort of continues or, or um, forges higher with the S&P 500, we can get to this 100% extension of this 4768 level. And even though it does seem aggressive to us in terms of the percentage upside from here to there, it does dictate a bullish bias for the coming weeks or the, the near term. And of course, the market's into this like seasonally strong period mm. coming off of a corrective low in October. October is known as a bear killer type month where you tend to get downdrafts that are then discover buyers in October. And indeed, that's what we saw last month. Now, I can't believe it's already November. Um, mm -hmm. And that's followed a big uh, pullback in September. That was really substantial, probably the most substantial, even from a bottom-up perspective, than we'd seen um, in about a year. So, you know, it's a, a, a lot of times when we look at the indexes, they're really dominated by a couple of big names. People I know are, are really kind of curious, are we going, who's going to lead? If we, if we are seeing that, and it does seem like seasonally that, that uptrend is going to stay intact, where's the leadership going to come from? Are we seeing a change in leadership on the cards? Mega caps have certainly been a source of sort of long-time upside leadership since we saw the market bottom back around the COVID low in March 2020. And we're still seeing the same. I mean, we're seeing them maintain these long-term uptrends. And I'll show you that in absolute terms using a, an index actually uh, based on the FANG plus Microsoft stocks. And you can just see the uptrend in that index and it's maintained itself. Recently, we've seen a little fall off in terms of relative strength. So if you look at that index versus the S&P 500 in this ratio, it's, it's been more directionless. And, and that um, has not held back the major indices. You saw the new high from the S&P 500. So at the same time as they've not really exhibited upside leadership of late, we've had very strong breath behind the market. And for breath, we, we just mean that stocks are, more stocks are going up on up days. They're actually participating in the rally, if not hmm. also exhibiting upside leadership. So breath has been pretty strong. The FANG stocks are collectively participating. We still have upside leadership from Microsoft, from Google. Uh, to a lesser degree, we've seen Facebook, of course, see a corrective phase. We've seen, or Meta, uh, we've also we're never seen... going to get used to that. We're never... <laughs> we're... This is the, the jury's out, right? Even when we call it Fang, nobody likes the replacement yet, and everyone's going to wonder: Are we just going to continue to call it Meta Facebook? You know, that we're going to have that I'm... Facebook. <laughs> I'm still catching up on Alphabet too, so that would be my next uh, point: is that Alphabet has certainly been a, a relative performer. 
the um, Amazon has been more neutral, as we all well know, but it but it still has maintained its long-term uptrend and has good support nearby. Netflix has been on a tear. NVIDIA looks fantastic. Tesla, we really just can't fight the momentum there, and that has a relatively fresh long-term breakout that gets it close to 1370 based on that same discipline of a measured move projection. So all of these taken together, we expect more contribution from the mega caps, if not also upside leadership. And I think that's important to the major indices in a mature uptrend. But at yeah. the same time, the breath is there. So I, I don't think that it doesn't mean stock selection isn't important, uh, but it means that people are probably feeling some success in the market right now because most names are going higher with the major indices. This is a chart here of Tesla, and I can show you the breakout above what was former resistance around 900. When you see a breakout and breakouts in general that are, are getting this nice immediate upside follow through, that's indicative of a strong tape and, and earnings season always generates more breakouts and breakdowns. We're seeing more upside follow through on the breakouts than on the breakdowns seeing downside follow through. So. I think that's encouraging, again, supportive of, say, maybe the next six to eight weeks of upside. But after that, uh, you know, we do see some signs of exhaustion that we may have to contend with in Q1. So that's really that's a really important bookmark there. So that we're seeing the trend because people have a hard time, given the gains we've seen in some of these stocks, some people, you can understand why they're nervous, just thinking, can this possibly continue? You're saying yes, but you have to be careful on your time horizon here. I think it's always the case. We always, when we're analyzing the charts using our indicators, we're looking at monthlies, weeklies, and dailies. In fact, you can see it mm -hmm. on my launch pad here. You're seeing simultaneous timeframes on the screen. And we do that because we want the long-term context, the intermediate term, and the short term. And those all inform our biases. And, and sometimes uh, when it's not as strongly trending of a tape, uh, that's when you really have to get a little bit more short term in your positions because you you can't be as committal uh, to something that may go through this kind of backing and filling type of process. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-ads.com. You mentioned the breath, Katie, which I think is important because some people have pointed out, listen, you can say the index, you know, if you look at a certain index, it's up, but they're so dominated by these big names. And, and maybe there has been some correction underneath that people hadn't been picking up. If the breath is improving, you know, does, does, does big cap, tech or mega cap tech needs support from other leadership coming. I've heard a lot of people talking about financials, a lot of people talking about energy. Are there any other uh, sectors that you see positive price action that you think could sort of join in the leadership here? I mean, certainly. Yeah, we have overweight recommendations right now for financials and also um, con uh, consumer discretionary and now technology, and that's a new upgrade after having been equal weight technology for some time. Uh, we think those are great leadership sectors for financials, and I'll bring up the chart here. This is a chart of breadth that you're seeing on the screen now, and you can see how this breadth measure, which is the cumulative advanced decline line, bottomed around its 200-day moving average and has been forging higher. As it pertains to 
financials, of course, we have to relate that back to 10-year treasury yields, which have really mm -hmm. seen uh, some strong up moves of late. And, and that has contributed to financial sector, especially regional banks and banks more broadly um, have really garnered some relative performance there. Um, and with that relative performance, this is XLF or the financial spider, you've seen pretty widespread breakouts. Um, some may be stretched from a short-term perspective, uh, but we see that as just a pause to likely refresh these intermediate term uptrends. Breakouts to us are some of the most actionable takeaways in the charts. And we're seeing breakouts also in technology looking deeper than uh, those that comprise the FANGs or the mega caps. We're seeing a lot of breakouts in software and um, semiconductors are even starting to break out. So we find some spots of strength there too. And if you look at the consumer discretionary uh, ETF or any kind of benchmark in that uh, space, you'll see some really good up moves uh, that have accelerated of late. So this is the kind of move, this is the consumer discretionary spider or XLY that you see, um, you know, it, it's okay to chase sometimes because when you get these breakouts, as hard as it is to buy into strength at times, it, it's often the right thing to do because we've been just seeing good follow through on them. Yeah. You know, given we, we talked a moment ago about the concerns, whether it's driven by the fact that, you know, we've seen such big gains and people are worried, you know, about extending them or kind of chasing that last leg or the supply chains, you know, there, there's just a host of worries that, that you can look at. Um, would you, given the, what you're seeing in the price action, are you surprised that that worry isn't showing up in the VIX at all? Well, yeah, I know the VIX for us is exactly um, what you refer to as like a gauge of market sentiment. Uh, we like the VIX because it's a transactional gauge of market sentiment. A lot of technicians have kind of grown up with or, or learned over the course of their careers to pay attention to the investor polls. But we've always found more value in gauges that are, are not asking people how they're thinking about the market, but how are they actually positioned? Right. And the VIX does show that that fear or lack thereof in the marketplace. I think the VIX is a great risk metric and we have very well-defined levels right now to watch. So we've been publishing on this 15-ish support level down at previous lows. You could even draw back to some former resistance. And then on the upside, we've refined the trading range that we've seen for the past several months to an upper boundary of right around 25. So very easy levels to watch for folks at home. And a breakout above 25 would indicate that we're getting out of this low volatility regime that has characterized the markets and the major indices for so long into something different. And it doesn't necessarily mean to be different bearish for the S&P, but different, we could get into an environment that has more corrective phases, mm -hmm. more limited upside progress, uh, some folks might actually welcome that as some volatility that they can take advantage of, or at least an easier way to take advantage of it from a bottom-up perspective. Uh, but it, it does go back to getting forced into maybe more of a short-term bias if we were to see that VIX above 25. So that's our risk metric. And you can see how that would change the composure of this chart and get it above a resistance level. Yeah. So when so when you see it when you see the VIX so low like this, is that is that uh, does that reinforce your feeling that there's upside, or do you worry that there's too much complacency? You know, or if can it, it be both? Down, yeah, if we're down by eleven or twelve, something you know, something even lower than current levels. 
and started to show signs of downside exhaustion there, that's where I'd start to think about complacency. Mm-hmm. As it stands, it's really been almost more of a neutral takeaway that it's been providing within this range. So we have to think of, uh, you almost can't look at a specific level and say that's where there's complacency in the market. You have to think of it more as like a trending gauge uh, where we actually highlighted to clients a breakdown in the VIX in March. And it, it felt strange to say, well, that's actually, um, you know, market bullish because it's, yeah. you know, getting down to those levels where it's bottomed in the past. And um, But indeed, it kind of preserved that low volatility cycle um, and got us just into a new range. So I think it's a matter of, evaluating breakouts and breakdowns and then looking for signs of either downside or upside exhaustion of which we really have neither. That, that's that's a really helpful distinction because I think it's easy for us to th- hear when you when, when you hear about it sitting at these lows that it's too good to be true. So it's interesting to be to look at it with more nuance. I think is very helpful and you know um, I think we'll we'll kind of put people's minds at ease sometimes when they see that first headline. So w- one of the things I think that's been worrying people we've seen the inflation story right and it's feeding into Fed it's feeding into interest rates and it's by the way one that is a, a it's not even a story it's a debate because people. Or a lot more people on the inflation side of thing that is go- inflation side is here to stay, uh, and it's kind of where we're looking at a period now of renewed higher prices. Not everyone agrees. What does that mean? What are you seeing when it comes to crude oil? Because we do have that OPEC meeting coming up this week. Yeah, there, there's been a long-term turnaround in commodity prices, uh, and that's broadly speaking, not just crude oil. In fact, I would argue it's even more pronounced in a way in natural gas prices these days. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a lasting turnaround by the way the monthly chart's set up. And the implications for inflation, you, you can take it as a, you know, for face value, right? You know, I think that we can, we've seen a series of long-term breakouts, and this is crude oil, the generic contract on a monthly chart. You see the uptrend here off of negative territory. Um, And most recently, a breakout above what was former resistance on the chart from 2018, around $77 per barrel. That breakout acts as a catalyst for higher prices for crude oil. And this is a long-term takeaway, but next resistance on our uh, chart is around $110 per barrel. It doesn't mean it gets there straight away. It's a likely um, you know, something that's dotted by pullbacks and what have you, but we'll use the short-term gauges to try to navigate through that. So I think with the lack of resistance between here and there, it just suggests that the uptrend should persist over the long-term. And mm-hmm. we're seeing that, that broadly speaking, as mentioned in the commodity arena, and with that, we've gotten some rotation into, of course, the energy sector, which is um, one that we were overweight and now we're currently equal weight just to navigate through some consolidation phase. But we've also seen some promising rotation into some cyclical. So even if uh, inflations are a fear here, there's ways to find stocks to leverage that um, mm-hmm. as a trend as a way, instead of just letting it um, you know, create fear and, and keeping you out of the marketplace. Is it, is it, do you see a floor for oil prices? Are we in a higher range in a medium term or, or, or for, for for crude oil? I'm assuming yeah. we're looking at WTI, not NYMEX, right? Not Brent as yeah, well. This is, yeah, this is WTI still. It's a generic contract, um, you know, for the short-term time horizons. We tend to look at the front month. Um, but what this shows here are those DeMarc indicators that I know you've, you've showcased on air before, 
And the DeMarc indicators would support, let's say, three to four weeks of consolidation for crude oil, but within the context of the long-term uptrend. Mm -hmm. I love this combination of moving averages. You can see the 20, 35, and 50 period moving averages on this weekly bar chart are all pointing higher, and the uptrend is still supported by the MACD, which is a great trend-following gauge. So still has momentum, long-term, intermediate-term, some signs of exhaustion, but they're more short-term in nature. And uh, it's those pauses or consolidation phases that allow the uptrends to persist a little longer than otherwise. Mm -hmm. Where we would uh, get a little less constructive would be either with a breakdown, with a confirmed overbought downturn, or with some kind of, uh, I guess, rollover in one of these important moving averages. We have a question from Anthony, uh, viewer. Uh, can you comment on the other indicators you're using on your charts? And I think he's referring to the lower indicators, the lower, rather the lower part of your, your chart. Of course. Yeah. So this is the MACD indicator, moving average convergence divergence method, a very popular and standard issue technical indicator uh, that most folks can access online for free. And then the histogram here is the spread between those two lines that comprise it. So that shows you the, the contraction and uh, divergences a little bit uh, differently in their presentation. So we find a lot of value in that. Of course, you see the moving averages of price of which it, that's just a matter of preference what you're seeing there. But um, we just like to look at certain combinations, not really big on crossovers and moving averages, but rather which direction are they pointing? Is price above or below? The DeMarc indicators you see here as well. Uh, we also have another chart template that we've shown on air today, and it, it shows the cloud model, which is also known as Ichimoku. It's the shaded area on the chart, a, a really nice way to understand what the prevailing trend is and also support and resistance. And we also show the stochastic oscillator here. So this is stuff that all you know makes up part of our process. And, and another, we, we obviously have some uh, technical analysis fans watching because another one's asking, do you use put-call ratios as a sentiment indicator? I used to. Um, you know, we, we highlight in our daily report a whole host of different market internal measures that are on our radar. And we're looking for extremes because we found that when they're not at extremes, they're not really that informational. So we're looking mm. for inflection points to be designated by extremes. The reason I got uh, away from the put calls, and, and maybe it was just more my own biases, um, but it, you know, in 2008, they really just flashed these major extremes, um, and they did so way, way, way too early. So mm. they, they burned me to the extent that I didn't want to come back to them, and I found some gauges that I felt like were a little bit more reliable. Um, I'm quite sure there is plenty of value in them if you're using them the right way, but, but personally, I got away from it because of that one experience. Um, yeah. What we have found to be a good discipline is to look at um, several different market internal measures, whether you're looking at sentiment or breath or, or leadership, volume, um, because that way it, it almost like diversifies the way you're evaluating the market internals. And I think there's some safety in that. Which makes complete sense. And, uh, you, you know, in that major event period, uh, a lot was put to the test and important mm -hmm. to take a look at what worked, what didn't, and where the shortcomings were. I think as you as you move forward, you don't make the same mistakes again. Um, you know, exactly. I, I, you, you mentioned commodities in general, and we have seen massive, you know, massive action in that market. I know a lot of our audience um, is is in that asset class in one shape or another. I, I want to 
uh, reference a conversation I had on Friday. Uh, I spoke to Chris Verone of Strategus Research Partners, and he had some very, very interesting things to say about copper. Let's have a listen. I think the most important thing in our entire conversation today that I can tell you and tell your viewers is that positioning today looks very, very different than what it looked like in January, February, March, right? If I was on any call or in any client meeting um, in the first quarter of this year, you would hear the same things. You would hear, Chris, I like small cap cyclicals, metals, financials, and I hate the dollar and I hate bonds, right? That was the consensus positioning at the start of the year. That has changed pretty dramatically as 2021 has carried on. And you see that in this chart. The bottom panel that we're showing you here is the weekly CFTC net long versus net short data. So you went from a really, really extreme net long position in copper earlier in the year to really a more modest position today. And, you know, copper's firmed here. It's corrected the last week or so. I think it's very, very viable as it's come back to support. These copper stocks are all starting to firm. And importantly for us, look at the ratio between copper and gold, right? That is our barometer for how the market perceives the economy. Copper, industrial metals, still outperforming precious metals. I think that's a good sign for cyclicality broadly. Love it. Again, that was Chris Verone of Strategus. If you had not, have not had a chance to watch that full interview, I really encourage you to check it out. He has a lot of great trading ideas, trading strategies, and, and quite a few of them are sort of uh, against consensus, and it's across a range of assets. has things to say about China growth, about QQQs, um, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So definitely have a look. Uh, that's available to Plus and Pro members. Um, so, Katie, what are you watching in the metal space? Is copper on your radar as well? Always. I mean, you know, it's a gauge of sort of economic performance. In fact, we mentioned it in our morning note as having pulled back. It, it did this sort of round trip in the month of October, a breakout earlier in the month and then a pullback. And I think it could be related in part to what you're seeing on this chart here. It's a monthly view. If you go back, you see some resistance drawn all the way back to the 2011 high, which, mind you, is where we're getting uh, at least one place we're getting that 110 level for crude oil prices. So very natural place for some consolidation to develop. It, it kind of prevents that upside follow through that we like to see to confirm turnarounds. But indeed, we want to give it the benefit of the doubt from a short term perspective. That pullback that we saw towards the end of October has now generated a short term oversold condition. It's done so above the 50 day moving average, which you see in green here and mm -hmm. also above cloud based support. So we still have a bullish intermediate term bias on copper prices. There are challenges, uh, challenges in terms of resistance, uh, but we expect that uptrend and turnaround based going back to the May high to essentially reassert itself following this volatility that we've seen. All right. So you're, you're, it sounds like you're in agreement because I think Chris, the title of that chart Chris had was the street is not nearly long enough copper. So I thought that was very thought provoking. You're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Yeah, I, I, we have a question coming in uh, from uh, Bunker Hunker. I love the name. Um, could you provide your thoughts, insights on the direction of the dollar as it seems 
to be range-bound, indicating either pending inflation or deflation. You know, we follow the dollar index like everything else from sort of multiple time frames. And if you look at this weekly chart, I think this is really interesting. You can see a big double bottom formation. We're not big on price patterns, um, mm. but when you see something this clean, it, it's something we do talk about. Um, and yet the dollar index is right up into some resistance. You can see that based on a Fibonacci retracement level here. You can see it based on the cloud. So it, it's hardly free and clear of resistance. But this double bottom formation combined with what we have on this monthly chart, which is, is a MACD buy signal or improved long-term momentum, does to us give the dollar a, a more bullish or strengthening bias for next year. Some people might think that's bullish, some people might not, but bullish for the dollar at least. So looking yeah. for the strengthening uh, off of that turnaround that we've seen this year. It's, it's, it's funny that you say that. It's just so true. It depends on what you're in. Um, if you see a strengthening dollar, what, what you're watching for to, to know whether that makes sense, uh, it's going to be bullish or not. Um, Tim asking, what's on your radar in terms of silver? You know, silver and gold, right? I, they, I love the idea of having a portion of your portfolio exposed to these commodities because they they aren't highly correlated to others, right? So you're getting some non-correlation there to some degree and some defensiveness at times, not always reliable. Uh, but but right now they're certainly out of favor. So mm. I, I think, you know, we've seen some signs of life. Let me show you on the front month silver contract. Some signs of life on the daily chart, you see the breakout above the 50-day moving average, some follow through off of that. So like copper, we are looking for it to uh, sort of resume that turnaround and also, if you look at where support is, it is holding support, but it's harder to make a strong case for it than it is for the commodities that have good upside momentum. And the same can be said for gold. Speaking of non-correlation, I have to ask you about Bitcoin. Uh, we, we did see, I mentioned at the top, some headlines coming out. Again, this is not a done deal. This is a recommendation from regulators, we know they've been itching to get their hands on uh, that market, uh, and they're talking about stable coins. But still, what what are you seeing in terms of Bitcoin? We see that we saw that huge turnaround and, and comeback. Um, what's the price action look like now as we head toward the end of the year? You know, I take no issue at, or no issue with the current price action in terms of like a pause within the uptrend. The uptrend is still intact even after this corrective phase in bitcoin from earlier this year if you look at the cloud model as a gauge of support you can see it was left intact during that corrective phase so while it was dramatic in percentage terms and certainly painful if you if you wrote it um, lower the the turnaround preserved the long-term uptrend so we don't take any issue with the current consolidation noting that it's occurring right below the all-time high so again a very natural place for it to take pause we saw ether and reach a new all-time high so it's kind of in the same position where it's testing some final resistance on the chart for a breakout to be confirmed we want to see a couple of good weekly closes above that threshold and then you can see a measured move projection here gets it to close to 90,000 if that's a confirmed breakout. And the time horizon on that projection would be something of six to 12 month range. And certainly when you think about that, it, it does hold some promise. It, it's not going to be without volatility, of course, on a short-term basis, but our indicators still mostly point higher, especially if you're looking from a long-term perspective. And this all follows what was a major base breakout in late 2020. So we think that sets the tone 
for higher prices for Bitcoin and, and for even with breakouts developing some outperformance from some of the altcoins, if you can pick the right ones. Wow. Uh Katie, we have a question coming, and I'm going. I'm going to combine them, sort of, and, and start. We're going to squeak another minute out here. But uh, Fred asking about the Russell. I know a lot of people have been looking for that for a breakout. Uh, I know Chris was uh, to return to that. He was he was long recommending long Russell, uh, short QQQ. But what, what do you think about the Russell? And then let's go right from there to go out a little bit more on your time horizon because you mentioned something earlier about a short-term view, but then being a bit more cautious or worried. I think I heard you said as we head into next year. So let's do the Russell first and then give me your perspective as we turn the corner on the year. It was a really big day for the Russell 2000. As you you know, it was up almost 2.7%. So a big day for it. And with that up move, it actually shrugged off a short-term overbought DeMarc signal from last week. We see that as a positive but even more importantly, we have as of, if it kind of closes near current levels at the end of this week, we have a new crossover in this weekly MACD indicator, which reflects intermediate term momentum. So despite it being range bound still, this MACD had been negative since late March. So what it supports is a breakout to new highs, resistance super well defined here, 2360 for the Russell 2000. I believe the levels just shy of 235 for the IWMs. And if you saw a breakout above that level, um, that's more decisive in the same way that we're looking for confirmation elsewhere. Uh, the measure moves are, are super impressive, or even just taking the width of the range and projecting it from the breakout point would makes a compelling case for some upside follow through. And we're getting into a time of the year where you tend to see a little tax loss selling uh, lead to then uh, this relief rally that benefits the uh, Russell 2000 names typically the most. You get the so-called January effect where December into sometimes early January, you get a little outperformance from these small caps, which I think is interesting. And then just give us the, are, are you are you feeling like this? Uh, I know that it sounds like you're positive and expect more gains as we head to the close of the year. As we turn the corner, how are you feeling? Do we need to recalibrate as we head into the new year? Are you looking that far out? Well, we, we had been neutral. Um, actually, no, we just moved to neutral after having been bullish for about 14 months on our long-term S&P 500 bias. And the, the reason for that uh, was primarily based on a comparison to the current environment and late 2017. Uh, based on the DeMarc indicators in part, we have a, a new sell signal as of last month, or I'm sorry, two months ago based on one of the DeMarc indicators, and that was reminiscent last of late 2017. We also have a prolonged overbought reading in our stochastic oscillator here, and a downtick in momentum uh, that reminded us of this period to the January to February 2018 period. So it likens the current environment to an environment that gave way to more of a range bound setup with a lot more short term volatility, not a bear market, um, but something that was pretty difficult from a trading perspective if you look at this 2018 period. So we, we feel more comfortable being neutral beyond uh, year end. Um, and yet we'll, we'll probably inform subscribers of when to sell once we have some kind of signs of upside exhaustion, not just on the long-term chart, but also intermediate and short-term, because it can take time for some of these longer-term signals to actually 
make a real impact on the chart. So the signals, you know, may not really manifest themselves within the next month or two, uh, but ultimately tend to take their toll and lead to a corrective phase. So that's what we're mentally preparing for. But we'd keep in mind that the corrective phase can occur from higher levels. So for now, we want to just stay with what's working momentum-wise. Sounds fantastic. <clears throat> As you can all tell, I'm fighting a cold, and I think that's it for my voice. It's it for Katie's time with us. So thank you so much, Katie, for being with us. Ash will be here tomorrow with Tony Greer. In the meantime, the conversation continues on the exchange. Take care and good luck out there. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.